Good morning, everyone on the West Coast, and good afternoon to everyone not on the West Coast. Uh, you're watching Unsafe Space. This is Kofefi Break, which is a show we do every Monday and Friday at 11 a.m. I'm Carter, and I'm joined, as almost always, one of us, some, sometimes one of us is absent, but almost always we're here together, Carrie Smith. Hello, Carter. Good morning Hi. to you. Good afternoon. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's freezing here. Um, <laughs> It's freezing in Texas? Yeah, it's they made a big deal out of it because of last year with the snowmageddon, oh. but it's not as bad. It's the power's yeah. still on, you know. Beto's making a big deal about it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no. Yeah. Really, Beto? Yeah. Beto's, also, Beto's a little dramatic, is he? Huh? Yeah, also you would really appreciate this. On Twitter, he was he was getting Texans to send in their electricity bills and showing like, look, there's a new surcharge added because of all the problems last year and it's a couple of cents or something per bill but if you do the math if you actually look at all these bills you can do the math and see that texans are still paying less per kilowatt hour than the national average it's like thanks for sharing all of these bills to show how great our prices are i mean come on texas is great that's why bitcoin miners are there yeah uh well if there's no um if there's no crisis carrie what do you need beto for that's right. the problem so there's got to be some something's right. got to be wrong. Um, as a reminder, everyone, I just have to say that interview you did yesterday, Carrie, was fucking awesome. That oh, was fantastic. So if you haven't seen Carrie's interview with Billboard Chris on her on the her new uh, deprogrammed channel, which I think the link will either be put it in the link in chat or below or everywhere or both, uh, absolutely go check it out. It was a, a really awesome interview. Thank so, you very much. Yeah, Billboard Chris, um, he's a dad. He's a father of two. And he's just traveling around the country, around the uh, U.S. and Canada, having conversations with people one at a time about gender ideology and children and the age of consent for puberty blockers and stuff. So we'll see if that video even stays up. So go watch it. Go watch it now. <laughs> yeah. He got yeah. a gold. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Uh, I don't want to keep our guests waiting. I'm I'm very excited about no, today. But I know, I know we have cool. one other the new book for oh, book club. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to send this one to me because my husband bought it already. The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. <laughs> That's what we're reading this month. If you guys want to go get your copy. He really is just a, a caring humanitarian who's trying to do his damned best to really save grandma and all your children. That's that's the secret, right? That's the aesthetic of this book tells you it's not going to be. <laughs> it's not going to be like the it's kids' book. Yeah, <laughs> look at this. <laughs> just black with white font. Hmm. That's it. Hmm. Uh, all right. Well, that when is that? March sixth, maybe something like that. Uh, you got time to read that one. Uh, as a reminder, I think we are streaming everywhere on Rumble, Utreon, Odyssey. Uh, even YouTube, which is this, I feel like everyone knows we're on YouTube, Twitter. Um, but if you want to support the show, you can go to unsafespace.com and support all our shows by donating there. Uh, and don't forget to press the subscribe button while you're here on YouTube or wherever you are. I think we have like eight, maybe less. We have like a handful of followers on Rumble. <laughs> so everyone was like, you have to go to Rumble. So we put the videos on Rumble and there's no one there. It's, a, it's crickets. So if you like Rumble, go, go to Rumble. All right. Carrie, do you want to introduce our guest or would you like me to introduce our guest? Um, our guest today is Lee Stranahan, <laughs> the host of The Backstory on... Hello, Lee. Hey, how from you his, doing? He's reporting from his back cave. 
I thought when you said the backstory, they're supposed to be like dum dum that comes in. That well, was, that, I thought that was from the universe, but apparently it's some kind of production magic. Uh, no, it's it's my engineer Saul, our multifaceted <laughs> engineer Saul, who does that. <laughs> and I do feel bad because every time in the intros when I say you're listening to the backstory, boom, it's like a Law and Order thud is the way I yeah. describe it to people. Yeah, it's got that Law and Order musical gravitas, floor it does. gravitas. Yeah, I suddenly started taking you seriously after that. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, this guy's, yes. this guy's I need, for real. I need something like that. He has the thud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can follow Lee. him at Stranahan on Twitter. Um, where else can they find you, Lee? Uh, the best, the best place is Twitter, but I'm on the popular, the popular mainstream social media networks, Facebook and so on. And or they could guys... just call you. Wanna, what's your number? Why don't you share it with everyone? <laughs> I, I would. Two two nine zero nine six seven four one. I don't care. Wow! <laughs> Did you just do that? I've, al- I've, al- I've always I've always done that though. I've never, you know, as a journalist. First off, you you know who's an influence with me on that is uh, Andrew Breitbart because I was very close friends with Andrew, and he was pretty well known. And he would walk around CPAC, and people would walk up to him, and he told me that people like Hannity thought he was insane. And Aunt Coulter said, why are you walking around without bodyguards? And he's like, because I want to talk to people. And people would walk up to him. We'd be at CPAC or whatever. And they'd say, hey, Andrew, I have a story for you. He's like, here's my number. And he'd give him his number. And it wasn't like his his burner cell phone. He's more law and order terminology. <laughs> it was his real phone number. And that always and and this is the height while he was alive of his fame, because he got a little more famous after he passed away. But yeah. at the height of his fame, he would do that. People would walk up and he'd just give him his phone number. So if Andrew would, why not me? That's the way I think of, of it. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a thing I can't relate to. With Very him, subtle. I guess. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> my daughter's so, lucky she has my it, phone number. If you guys aren't aware, uh, if you're not already following the backstory, um, you can you can listen to Lee there. It's daily, is that right? Uh, Monday through Friday. Monday through Friday. Four to six, four to six p.m. East Coast time. And Carter's going to be co-hosting with you every other week. For yes. a while, every, thir- every other Thursday. Every yeah. other Thursday. And, yes. And I'll be doing every other Wednesday. And yes. this is a nice treat to get to see your face instead of just doing radio. Well, so. well, that's debatable, but thank you. <laughs> and uh, and no, and it's been great to have you guys on co-hosting. We did. I used to have a permanent co-host, John Kiriakou. Then he moved on to another show that's on noon to two on Radio Sputnik. And so I decided to try this guest co-host thing, and I really like it. It's been great because you guys would come on as guests on the show. And I always loved having both of you on. I don't think we've ever had you on together. We've always had you on separately. I think, but I think so. Yeah. Individually, we loved having you on. And so it's nice, like yesterday on the show, for instance, we had Carter and we had Enrique Tario, the former leader of the Proud Boys, as a guest. Yep. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, and I, I, I thought it would be amazing. You know, yeah. and, and it was, it was a great conversation and, and it's kind of nice. It's, it adds a little different spice every day, if that makes sense. 
mm-hmm. to because you know we do have guests who are regulars who come on and repeat you know fairly for in every few weeks every three or four weeks something like that so it's nice to see them with somebody else uh in addition to me and it, you know so that's been a great experiment in having guest co-host yeah i love that we do that on fridays we'll usually mix it up with one or two people and I'm really glad to have you here today because when Carter told me the topic, I'm like, well, I need to learn about this. And in fact, the last time I was on your show, you asked me a question about what I thought about what's happening in Ukraine and sort of, you know, I don't feel comfortable having an opinion on anything yet. I'm still trying to even understand the history of that region. So I've learned a little more since we spoke, Lee. (laughs) I'm not as ignorant as before. And I appreciate your comments then. Um, but really, I know there's a lot of people in our audience who feel like they don't have enough information yet to talk about the subject. So I appreciate you being here today. Well, if I can mention, I didn't know a damn thing about Ukraine at the start of 2017. Nothing. Like literally nothing. What changed? And what happened was I was a lead investigative reporter for Breitbart News at the time, and I was doing White House press briefings. And I'd been covering the Russiagate story since before it was the Russiagate story. I had written a piece. I'd ghostwritten a piece that was published under Roger Stone's name uh, in the fall of 2016, because you got to remember, remember how we started to hear about Russian interference is that Donna Brazil, this is right before the DNC convention. uh, It came out that in these emails that had dropped, Donna Brazil had given questions, questions on the debate. Remember? Yes, to Hillary. Or, or yeah. To she Hillary. Had, or she's or CNN or whatever it was. Or to, was it Shoot. the debaters? Yeah. Donna Brazil was with CNN and she'd given questions from a debate between Hillary and Bernie Sanders ahead of time to Hillary so she knew what was coming. And right. Donna Brazil's response when asked, like, how could you do this? Which is a good question. Was, well, this might be Russian disinformation. I remember that. She didn't even own up. She's like, it might be Russian disinformation. It might not. Right. And I thought it was such a bizarre response. (laughs) Right? It's like if you catch your spouse in a hotel room with somebody, she's like, this might be Russian disinformation. (laughs) You'd be like, I'm not, I'm pretty sure it's not because I'm seeing it right now with my eyes. <laughs> so Donna Brazil wasn't saying that thing didn't happen. She was just saying it was Russian disinformation. And I'd seen this Gustafer Two person on Twitter bragging about how they'd hacked the, the DNC. And I'm like, why is nobody talking about Gustafer Two? And so I wrote a piece for Breitbart News under Roger Stone's name because I knew if I'd published under my name, it would have gotten nothing. At the time, Breitbart was giving so much ink to Ben Shapiro and Milo Yiannopoulos that I could have written a story, you know, world about to end in nuclear holocaust, and it would have been on page four of the website. Right. But who Milo was sleeping with or pretending to sleep with, because that was all BS. Uh, I don't know any of this. That's okay. <laughs> well, no, but but Milo was 
saying things very explicitly. I don't want to hurt your delicate ears, Carrie, and saying what he was saying. But he was talking about his sex life and stuff like that at Breitbart gratuitously for no reason. It was all not true. And, uh, but, uh, but, but so you wrote the piece about. Um, so I, I wrote the piece for, for under Roger's name. I called Roger and I said, because I'd ghostwritten for him before, I was like, hey, I have this piece I wrote on this Russiagate thing that I see brewing. Can we put it up under your name? He said, sure. So we did. And uh, what I noticed was as I was investigating Russiagate, Ukrainians showed up everywhere. There were Ukrainian operatives everywhere, everywhere I'd turn. The NATO showed up everywhere as well. And so I started to be like, I don't understand why there was a woman named Alexandra Chalupa, who's the Ukrainian operative. She was responsible for a lot of stuff that happened. There was the guy who was the head of who the head of the Hillary committee basically was a Ukrainian American. And I just didn't understand it because it was known. There was a woman named Milan Verveer. So I watched a film called Ukraine on Fire that executive produced by Oliver Stone, directed by a guy named Igor Lopotnik. And I was trying to research and I'm lazy, so I didn't want to read. So I'll watch a movie. And that that movie, Ukraine on Fire, was fantastic. It gave the history. It was very dense. It gave the history of Ukraine in about 90 minutes. And I'm very honored to have been in the sequel to that called Revealing Ukraine, also executive produced by Oliver Stone and directed by Igor, that is up, anyone can find it on Netflix. And Revealing Ukraine is me, I think it was released in 2018, but we shot it in 2017. It's me talking about stuff that most people weren't talking about until the impeachment happened. But when the impeachment happened over Ukraine, I wasn't surprised because I could see how central Ukraine is, not just, by the way, to Russiagate, but to so much that's happened in U.S. foreign policy. And this goes back, what, what what's kind of shocking is that the Ukraine-U.S. stuff goes back decades to the end of World War II. Yeah. Maybe tell us about like, well, I mean, I think a lot of the the narrative here is that there was this trilateral process. Ukraine gave up their nukes um, and this is post fall of the Soviet Union in exchange for Russia respecting its borders and and everyone else respecting its borders and and that Russia has now violated this and uh, therefore we need to go defend Ukraine. And I know we're not saying they should be in NATO, but we're kind of acting like we're not going to rule it out. Well, no, um, we're, we've got NATO in Ukraine. We've got NATO is effectively, which is really the U.S., because I also noticed in Russiagate how you, NATO would show up everywhere, specifically the Atlantic Council, all over the place. But to understand this, really, you've got to go back to the end of World War II. What what Peter Dale Scott calls the shadow government, many refer to, he coined the phrase the deep state, is at play here. And what I like to tell people in journalism is don't take my word for anything. I can tell you where to find this stuff 
from sources that are the sources, like, for instance, in the CIA's own words, if you go to any search engine and type in CIA archive FOIA, F-O-I-A, you'll find that website, which is the way to look up the CIA's material they've published. And it's a search engine at the CIA. You'll see the name CIA.gov or whatever. And if you type in Lebed, L-E-B-E-D, this really takes you to information that makes it very clear what's been going on since the end of World War II. So let's go back to World War II. World War II, obviously, we were allied with Russia. And Russia was key in defeating the bad guys, the Nazis in particular. Russia beat the Nazis in Operation Barbarossa. But at the end of World War II, and we saw this in Eisenhower's farewell speech, his famous farewell speech, where he, he talked about the military industrial complex. The United States had shifted in there somewhere into a permanent military economy, which Eisenhower says in that speech we never had before. And he's right. We never had that before. So we needed in a, in a permanent war economy, you need a constant boogeyman. Yeah. Right. Because you've got to justify it. So we switched from Russia being our ally to those damn commies being our enemy. Now, I don't like communism. But the reason the CIA doesn't like communism was not to say I don't like communism because it's totalitarian central planning, anti-individualist and so on. The CIA doesn't care about any of that. Mm -hmm. So the re so merely not liking commies is not sufficient. I'll put it like that. And you can see this with this and look at the way the CIA was acting at the time. So this guy, Mikhail Lebed was a literal Nazi war criminal. He was Ukrainian who was cooked up with this guy named Stefan Bandera. Bandera is still famous and has a cult-like adoration in Ukraine. And when I say cult-like adoration, those tiki torch marches that you saw in Charlottesville, they happen every January 1st in Ukraine. But people walk, they're called Banderites. They worship Stefan Bandera, who is a Nazi collaborator. And that's all in the CIA files, by the way. If you look up Bandera, you'll find him in there, too. So Mikola Lebed was a guy who worked with Bandera and the uh, Ukrainian insurgent army, they were called. And they, again, were supposedly anti-communist, but really they were anti-Russian and anti-Jew. They were very clear about this. And they were part of horrible slaughter of Jews and Poles. Hundreds of thousands and and the ho most horrible stuff you've heard of. I mean, just vi vi they weren't just killing him. They were sending a message and I'll, I'll leave it there. But if you if anybody looks it up, you'll find the atrocities that they committed. And Lebed died where all Nazi war criminals die in Pittsburgh. So in the in the 80s is when McCall Lebed died because he was brought over by the CIA. Uncle Louie, they called him. 
And it's right in the CIA's own files. Operation Aerodynamics was where the CIA worked with Ukraine. So this has been going on for decades. The Village Voice wrote about it in the mid-late 80s in a piece called To Catch a Nazi. And that piece reveals how the CIA was working with Nazi war criminals that were part of what's something called the, the SS Waffen 14th Division, which was Ukrainians. That was the SS Division of Ukrainians, the 14th Division. And uh, so they've had the backing, these Ukrainian Nazis have had the backing of the literal deep state. You don't get more deep state than CIA, right? Right, right. Uh, and it's all there's there's no question about it. It's all very clear. So because, again, initially the CIA, they were making the commies of Russia, the boogeyman. And. Uh, this is and and a lot of these people I mentioned, this woman, Alexandra Shalupa, her uncle was part of the CIA's spying on Russia in the 50s. And I'll tell you who else ties in here, George Soros. George Soros is the biggest funder of NGOs, non-government organizations, and civil society writ large in Ukraine. And he started right One of the things this guy Lebed did was he had a company that the CIA sponsored, and it's all there, called Prologue. This is doing anti-Russian propaganda from the CIA and stirring up racial tensions in Ukraine. And as Lebed was found out and exposed by the Village Voice, he became, and he was getting older, Soros came into Ukraine. This is around the time the Soviet Union ended. And Soros became the head of a group that anyone can look up. It's, there's no question about it, called International Renaissance. International Renaissance was actually formed prior to Open Society Foundation. It was Soros funding every NGO. You know, in Silicon Valley, they talk about incubators, right? You heard that term probably, right, Carter? Incubators? I, I ran a few. Okay, so explain what it's, an incubator my my understanding is a it's a company that basically funds other companies. Uh, it's it's designed to help people in super early stages of business, um, maybe without a lot of experience or resources, kind of get their uh, get their business up to a state in which it's either self sufficient or can go out and raise more money or whatever. So it's it's a mix of education and resources and general assistance with kind of getting your business off the ground. Um, and typically incubators take a percentage of a business when it's a business incubator. I don't know about NGOs, but uh, when it's a business incubator, they usually take a percentage of the business as a, as compensation. Sometimes incubators will invest. There's a blurry line between what the difference between an incubator and an accelerator is. So you can, if you want for this conversation, you can use them interchangeably, but that's basically, that's basically what it is. Well, the, the Soros International Renaissance Foundation was that. That's a great definition, better than my thing of writing checks, because it is more than that. And where the more than that happened under Hillary Clinton, by the way, have you ever heard of a program called Civil Society 
I haven't. The name rings a bell, but I I don't know if that's just coincidence. So no. All all anybody has to do is look up Civil Society 2.0 Hillary Clinton in any web browser. You'll find her making speeches, kicking it off. And Civil then you so get a knock at your door. Well, no, it's not. It's not that episode. You become suicidal. <laughs> no. So so what you learn is, and and I, two things came out of Civil Society 2.0, the Arab Spring. And the Ukraine 2014 Madan revolution. What Civil Society 2.0 was, it was a way of teaching high tech cell phones and social media and stuff like that to political activists that the U.S. was sponsoring around the world. And that's literally what Civil Society 2.0 was. It was a way of, of you know, sort of the taking the NGO world and literally they would do these things in Ukraine. You can look it up. You look up Kiev tech camp. They did these tech camps where they were showing people, Hey, Hey everyone. Okay. Grab your phones. We're going to show you how to set up a Facebook site for yourself. And you can use this to communicate with people. And literally this created the Arab spring. Let's keep in. Let's have some context for people because Obama was the first president that was really effective at social media, at using social media in order to get out the vote and get himself elected. That was a relatively new thing at the time. So it sounds like you're talking about a time where the Democratic Party just kind of realized, look how effective this is. Now we can leverage this and teach other people these skill set that that we've learned um, to help sway politics elsewhere. Yes. And it was, by the way, the other thing that was happening at the time, don't forget, was Occupy Wall Street hmm. and Occupy Wall Street. Because I was I went to like as a reporter, I went to like nine different Occupy camps, uh, including Zuccotti Park, both camps in Berkeley. Uh, I Oakland, went to those too. In, but in Berkeley? I went to uh, the one in D.C., the one in Berkeley. There were. We were doing a documentary with a I was in social justice then. And well, yeah. Yeah. So you remember in Berkeley, for instance, there was one on Sproul at the campus, but there was also one sort of more in the in Berkeley proper. And and they had Oscar Grant Park in Oakland at mm -hmm. the time. And I went there and I, I was at the DC one. Uh but Occupy was very tech savvy. I don't know how else to put it, but th they were using social media to connect. And I, I met and interviewed some of those people and exposed what they were doing and how they'd lied and said, Hey, come down to Zuccotti park. Radiohead's going to be playing this week. And it was a complete lie. <laughs> they knew Radiohead would never be playing, but they want people to show up. Or how they do what I would call the equivalent of ladies. The reason you do ladies night at a bar is to get guys to show up, right? That's the reality. You do ladies night because guys like ladies, if you if you get the chicks to show up for the half price drink specials or whatever, or shooters, then the guys will show up where the ladies are. And that's what they did at Occupy. They put out video, for instance, of some of the attractive young women who would show up at Occupy 
as a way to draw in the 19, 20 year old guys. Sounds like Firefest where they had those models. Yes. (laughs) No, that's exactly. I was thinking of Girls Gone Wild, but same kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. No, it it is. It is. It is a similar thing. But once and and they they would put out. I did a piece on this when I was over at Breitbart. That was very slick. The posters and I was there with my son Shane, who you guys have been on his show. He's no longer hosting it, but Shane was like nineteen. 1819 and hanging out with his dad, who's a reporter at Occupy. And Shane knew all the BS. He, but still, when you're a 19 year old guy at Occupy, it's kind of cool. Sorry. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's hard not to get pulled in because you're camping out in the park and all, you know. It's like Woodstock, but without all the great bands. You're in right. this, you feel like you're part of this movement. Right. And there's chicks with nose rings and you know what I'm saying. So there's a whole <laughs> that there's it it seems happening. Yeah. And I could see that Shane and there's an outdoor library and they're generating power by pedaling a bike and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of Swiss Family Robinson, except commies. And uh <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so so that was Civil Society 2.0, but I didn't know it at the time. Was taking what they were doing at Occupy, and saying because if you look at the Maidan in Ukraine, for instance, it was obviously like a cover band for Occupy Wall Street. It was ripping off what they were doing, and part of it was the tech infrastructure because there was a lot of infrastructure. You probably knew this, Gary, if you if you covered it the involvement of the teachers unions, for instance, and all the stuff they had staged in buildings just off Zuccotti. Uh, Just to clarify, I'm not aware of that because I was part of Occupy. I mean, this is back when I was still doing social justice comedy, working with comedians. So we were there. I now realize what we were doing would be more like producing a propaganda piece. So. Well, I guess, speaking of which, I got into an argument with Sam Sayer there. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, so just to just to bring it back to the Ukraine for a second, you're saying that uh, you're saying the Ukraine 2014 revolution was kind of the cover band for you're saying they were borrowing stuff from what they had learned from social media and getting people out for Occupy, that that was sort of what we saw with that revolution in the Ukraine or the riots in the Ukraine. Specifically, Occupy was doing something that goes back to the 60s at Columbia. The idea of occupying space as a form of civil disobedience, right? You could see this in in Eric Holder, in the groups he was in, in the 60s at Columbia, would occupy space. The Weather Underground did this. And Occupy Wall Street, Bill Ayers even told Andrew Breitbart at, at dinner once, he said, Occupy is just what we were doing in the 60s. It's the same thing. And he's right. This is modern versions. Like even Occupy Wall Street uh, or Black Black Lives Matter, even Black Lives Matter. I've described Black Lives Matter. It's a good line, but it's uh, but I'm serious about it, too. Black Lives Matter is the Black Panthers as reimagined by lesbians with cell phones. And that's. <laughs> It's literally true. They were taking the 10-point program from the Black Panthers word for word, 
except uh, Patrice Cullors and Alicia Garza and Opal Tometi were lesbian slash queer. It's hard to say with Alicia. But uh, uh, with cell phones, doing the text thing and introducing some of the tech elements of tech organizing, uh, organizing in the Solinsky community organizing sense. So you could see the Madan was about occupying space and getting things going. And just also what I had seen at Occupy Wall Street is the people in the park holding space aren't the point of it. Like I covered a lot of protest marches and the people up front in a protest march, the hippies and the union people aren't the point. It was the black block people at the end of the parade that smashed the Starbucks windows. And I could see it over and over again, the same template over and over again. You need a certain amount of peaceful, often old people, the hippies or whatever, mm-hmm. to, to be up front and be the public face. So you can say, look, we're just people occupying a park. Then you bring in the black block. And they start smashing and breaking shit. And that's exactly what happened at the Madan. And you could see it over and over again with, you know, Occupy. I, I could see it where these protests were getting more violent every time. And so that same template, I didn't know at the time, was being driven also by the State Department overseas internationally. And that's what civil society 2.0 was about. So I want to I want to back up for a minute, uh, just because I guess there's a, one overarching thing. I, so I had a conversation with Scott Horton about some of the stuff the other day, and there are definitely some people from the Baltic states who are like, "You're wrong. You're you, you know this is all Russian propaganda. Uh, th- this isn't true." And I think before we even get into any of this, I think we can say, I, I think you would agree. Uh, it's possible that Russia is bad and the United States is bad. It's possible that both of them are doing bad things and we can have a conversation about stuff that the U.S. is doing without it's, it's saying, possible, without but, forgiving but, but, Putin. But I'm going to push back on that. Putin is awesome. He's the best leader in the world today, period, hands down. And the reason they hate him is because, A, he brought Christianity back to Russia. He's a, an avowed Christian. And he's spoken out not against homosexuality in general, but he'll he'll say stuff about how crazy the woke stuff is or how crazy uh, people who are born as men competing against women in athletics is. He'll come out and he'll say that stuff. And he's a nationalist. And the re- main reason they hate him is this guy, Kordakovsky, that Putin put in jail. So I'm one of those people who I go the opposite way because I've done the research. Putin is so you awesome. don't think Putin's like an oligarch or a thug or has any expansionist plans? I mean, he has talked about a- absolutely the collapse not. of the Soviet Union being the worst thing that happened in the 20th century. Well, no, what he's talked about is how it was how the collapse of the Soviet Union did cause. If you look at Russia in the 90s, it was taken advantage of by the West. And what happened was after the fall of the Soviet Union, a lot of people looked at it in the 90s like, okay, good, freedom, yay. But a lot of people looked at it like, oh, there's a money-making opportunity here because all of the assets were held by the state. And so you had people like HSBC 
and this guy, Bill Browder, and these oligarchs. The oligarchs ran Russia in the 90s before Putin. And there were people like this guy, Mikhail Kordakovsky, who no one ever talks about, but he's connected with both Biden and McCain and Obama. And you can see that in Senate Resolution 322 from 2005. Anybody look that up? No one's ever done a story about it. What happened was the West, the U.S. and the U.K. wanted to steal Russia's trillions of dollars in assets, particularly the energy assets. This guy, Kordakovsky, got on the board of the Carlyle Group. And you'll see it's very clear. The other guy who sponsored him in the House was this guy Vickers in Mississippi who called for nuclear war against Russia. All these people pushing war with Russia are Kordakovsky fans because Kordakovsky got put in jail by Putin because Kordakovsky was trying to take over the government and he wouldn't stop. And so, no, having done the research, I'll defend Putin all day uh, on any point with anyone who wants to bring it up. And I'll put it like this. We, the U.S., are the bad guys. We overthrew a democratically elected government in, in 2014 in Ukraine. Viktor Yanukovych's government was democratically elected and the election was certified and we helped overthrow it. And that's 100% clear. There was no Russian invasion of Crimea. There were already troops there. There was already a seaport that had Russian sailors at it there. And the racist Nazis in Ukraine and the literal Nazis still, anyone can go look up the Azov Battalion, A-Z-O-V, Azov Battalion. Look them up. You'll see they're covered in Nazi iconography still to this day. And they talk out against Russian and Jews, which they view as the same thing. And go look at the Azov Battalion. They're officially part of the Ukrainian government. So uh, so I, I'm one of those people who at first, because I didn't know what was going on, I was a little mild in my defense. I was just saying a lot of lies in the U.S. part. Now I'll defend Putin. He's seriously, no, no, I've never heard, I challenge anyone to name a better world leader. Someone who's been more patient. Russiagate was about lying about Russia over and over. And apparently you can say anything you want to about Russia. You know, Peter Strzok talked openly, I hate the Russians. Right. Right. And if he'd said that about any other ethnic group, the Irish or whatever. That was the FBI agent, Peter Strzok? Yes. yes. Peter Strzok was the FBI agent. And he said in one of his messages to his girlfriend, Lisa Page, I hate Russians. And he hates Trump. So, of course, he's the perfect guy to put in charge of the Russia-Trump investigation. The guy who explicitly hates them. And, uh, and I didn't understand the mechanism that was going on. But there are two... Two storm fronts sit here. Number one, the people supported by this guy, Kordakovsky, who wants revenge on Putin. And by the way, I'll give an example. Like some of the lies, there's a, a, a case a few years ago, you may remember, called the Litvinenko poisoning. Remember, have you yes. heard of it? Yep, that was I a guy this. who was a, a Russian double agent who defected to the U.K., and he was at a sushi place oh, in London yeah. 
where I've I've eaten, by the way, it's not it's not a great sushi place either. It was kind of fast food. It's worse sushi. when you get poisoned, but yeah, <laughs> it is. And and that was blamed on well, Putin poison. Putin ordered the poisoning. Do yep. you know Do you know who made that determination that Putin had ordered the poisoning? Don't tell me Peter Strzok. No, but you're close. You're close. Lisa Page. <laughs> no, no. Think about it. It happened in England. Oh, don't tell me it was uh, Chris Chris Steele. Yes, it was. It was Christopher oh Steele. Christopher Steele was the one who said, yes, it's Putin. And I, I right. went to right, right after Trump was doing water sports in a hotel room, then Putin peed no, no, on. That was, <laughs> that, was be, that was before. Okay. Litvinenko happened before. And uh, so there's a very small cast of players. There really is. This guy, Kordakovsky, I mentioned, he shows up everywhere. Once you start looking, Bill Browder is another guy who shows up everywhere. The Magnitsky Act, an absolute pack of lies. And once I, and by the way, the way to, I, I got a hold of a deposition Bill Browder gave. I posted all six hours of the video deposition. Anybody can watch it and see where the guy's lying through his teeth. And he's not a good liar. He looks like a liar. He looks like someone cast him as a liar, as a John Lovitz character or something like that. But but I'll I'll I've become when I when I watch how patient Vladimir Putin's been, even though and 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 part of what's going on is the Madon in twenty fourteen, there's no doubt Yanukovych was a democratically elected leader. There's no doubt that there was a coup. We know that Victoria Newland was on that fuck the EU phone call. I was, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. The US was picking who was going to be in charge. And even after that phone call came out, the people who were in charge, we put in. Furthermore, what happened to the people of Ukraine in Kiev? What happened to them was that became the poorest country in Europe. People were dying from lack of heat after the coup. The reason they got rid of Yanukovych is Yanukovych is not a Banderite. And I'm not even joking. That's a big factor. That since no one knows who Bandera is here, they don't know that the guy prior, Yushchenko, the guy who was in power prior to Yanukovych, had one of the things Yushchenko had done, had made Stefan Bandera, he declared him a hero of Ukraine. And when Yanukovych got in, he stopped that. He reversed that ruling, basically. And that's why they get got even with him. OK, so I, I want to let's just back up. I just want to back up for a minute because there's, there's like so much that you're saying here. Um, yeah, and I want to yeah. let me just start by making clear. I don't want to speak for Carrie, but I'll at least say my position. Um, I don't have all the facts about stuff. So when when people drop facts on stuff, I'm like, I, I don't I don't know the answer. Um, I, I will say that I've come from a position of not trusting either side because that's just my default large, mm -hmm. large governments. So I'm not going to trust either side. I certainly don't trust the US. I care more about what the US is doing because they affect me more directly than I of care course, what the hell Putin's yeah. doing. So, um, and I think the mainstream narrative has in the US has is, is, is false. I mean, I've learned enough to see that like I don't Mainstream, they're misrepresenting things that are happening in, in like the, the FDEU phone calls are a great one. I mean, she named 
she named who she wanted the leaders to be. Um, and then lo and behold, right. Those are the, those are the leaders. Um, right. right. You've, you've got uh, just massive misrepresentation, but I do have, we you know, we do have sometimes people in our audience who are from Baltic States or whatever and saying, no, this thing is not true and whatever. So I'm not, I'm not going to make a statement about what I'm sure the facts are here, but I will say uh, the things that I do know, Russia did have, so part of the, part of Ukraine's separation was part of the agreement was not just to, that Russia would respect Ukraine's borders, but that Russia would get to keep the deep sea port in Sebastopol, which is their only all year port that they have. And it's a strategically super important port to them. And after this 2014, uh, you know, color revolution, or if someone wants to argue it was just, you know, <laughs> all organic and just happens to be exactly what the U.S. wanted and fine. But after that, there was a immediately, I believe, the Ukrainian government, the new government said, well, maybe we should kick the Russians out of Crimea. And it was only at that point then when Putin was like, no, 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 no. They, they, quote, took over Crimea in the sense, but they didn't kill anyone. They took over Crimea by basically saying, my understanding is they, the the Russians at the base went out in the streets and said, go home. <laughs> this is ours. Well, and it's, it, they, it's, they, it's, they, people went home and that was the end of it. Let me just mention one thing, by the way. Unfortunately, I've only got about eight minutes left now because I got to do a TV appearance. Mm-hmm. Okay. At the top of the hour, but I'll come back anytime you guys want. Furthermore, any specific question that people want documentation for where they can look it up themselves for independent sources. I love that. And I do that all the time. And that's why it is, it is a lot of information, but I've been able to confirm every single point independently, including the fact that it wasn't just what you're saying. They were literally people who were coming down to Crimea to kill people. And they said, we, some guy said, we may have to kill a million and a half people. These are people who are population of like 44 million or how about how big is the Ukraine total? Well, they wanted they were all Russian speakers. There's this Mm. deep animosity that's been driven by the U.S. deep state between certain Ukrainians and certain people who are identify as Russian. If you know anybody from Ukraine, some people from Ukraine identify as Russian. They're ethnically Russian is one term. And they speak Russian and they still view themselves as part of Russia. And Crimea was very much like that. And they never mentioned that there was a referendum in Crimea that the U.S. never doubted was a legitimate vote. All we said was you can go back and look at Obama in 2014. Well, this is not this is against international law. Well, being against international law is different than being a fake vote where people were put up to it. And if you go onto YouTube and type in Crimean referendum, you'll see the people in Crimea are overjoyed to be part of Russia. And when you look at what happened in Kiev, this is one of the things that concerns me. I care about the people at the end of the day. Yeah. And the people in Crimea are better off than the people in Kiev, period. Rejoining Russia has worked out very well for them. And I, and you can do this on you, go on YouTube. If you type in like uh, Crimea 
years later, you'll find a number of, I knew this would happen because I worked in video production for a long time. Uh, the easiest story in the world in 2019 was to get your crew to go to Ukraine and go to Crimea, which is a nice place to hang out. And, you know, so it's by the ocean. It's beautiful. I've never been there, but so that's a pretty good way to get a nice little vacation in with you and the film crew and do a story like Crimea five years after the Madan or five years after the Russian takeover, however you want to put it. So, yep. so a number of people did that story, BBC, France, 24 vice, a number of people did it. And when they went around to find people and asked them, so how, how do you like it? These are not pro Russian sources, but the people they were interviewing almost to a person were saying, you know what? It's been great. And there were people saying, I didn't think it would be good, but it's been great. And that tells me a lot when sources that are hostile to Russia, like the BBC, can't find people to be as close as they come. And you'll find this is they talk about the Tartars. And the Tartars aren't happy and the Tartars are the ethnic minority there, right? They're an ethnic minority in the same way the Uyghurs are. The, the Uyghurs were Muslim terrorists. Let's face it. That's what they were. They were Salafi Muslim terrorists who somehow they've gotten a lot of people who are Republicans to care about the Uyghurs and the way they're treated. Well, they're being treated that way in part because they were supporting terrorism as a community. And the Tartars, the same. They're. And, and, and the Tartars have never been happy with anybody because they're Salafi Muslims. See, I learned a lot of this when I went to Beirut in 2013 to cover the Syrian war, uh, which I, I did. I self-funded a trip to, to Beirut. And I spoke to people, you know, regular people. And I realized that the U.S. was backing the ISIS. The U.S. was backing the Salafi, the Wahhabist, Sunni extremist Muslims who are responsible for almost all the terror around the world. And it was very obvious. Everyone I talked to, you know, I talked to one cab driver. He said, I'm Muslim. He said, these guys are too Muslim. That was his phrase. The Tartars. No, no. The Salafis in general. Okay. The Salafis in general. And the Tartars are a Salafi group. And so the, as close as they come is the Tartars. But I don't fall for that one because I know what's going on there. Whenever I see that, the Tartars were never happy with anyone. They're Muslim separatists. That's what they want. But the people, if you go look at, go look up videos. Don't take my word for it. Go look it up. You'll see how happy the people are in Crimea. And on the night of the referendum, there were toasting and there were fireworks. They're thrilled. They were not like, oh, God, Russia's invaded. They're they're thrilled. And they and that's because they feel like they're part of Russia and they were happy to be reunited with Russia. So last question before you go, unless Carrie's got got a pressing one. Uh, I have too many. Is, you go. <laughs> is Putin going to invade 
or is his all blustering? Like, is he going to actually do anything that people are saying that they're worried about him doing, or is he just doing this for as a negotiation tactic? Uh, He's not doing anything. I don't even accept the fact that he's doing anything. There were 100,000 troops in a place called Yelnya, where the troops were. Yelnya is nowhere near the border. Anyone can look it up. Y-E-L-N-Y-A. It's not on the border. So if you listen to the media, this is one way I phrase this, because I realize this. Think about the media. Have they, think about, can you name a subject that they've been good on? Like, no, I'm really that's, No, that's a fair point. I mean, why am I listening to them? No, right. That's that's that that literally I'm not trying to be unfair, but I'm like, yeah. OK, when it comes to immigration, education, covering Black Lives Matter protests, were they good on any like literally anything? I'm sure Pfizer's pretty happy with them. Well, right. But <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm kidding. Yeah. So, yeah. so as I thought about it, I'm like. The media who sucks at everything, why would they get this one? Why would they suck at everything, but they've nailed this guy, Putin? Do you see what I'm saying? Just in a, in a logical way, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, and I'm saying that's exactly what's happening here. The media who lies to you about everything is lying to you about this. And I saw this in Syria. And uh, by the way, I, I'm not going to say Bashar al-Assad is one of the best leaders in the world. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not a huge fan of Assad, but I will say this, he's not as bad as they made him out to be. And he's differently bad than they made him out to be. And what the US policy has done is taken the opposition, the people who didn't like Assad and unified them to go, well, Assad's better than the head choppers, than ISIS, than Al Qaeda. Because he is. Assad's better than Al-Qaeda. It's the same way like with Iran, for instance. I'm not a huge fan of Iran, but they're better than Saudi Arabia. And they just are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I, I don't I don't know how much more time. I don't want to cut you off mid-sentence, but do, do you like is there any final points you want to make before you, you take off, Lee? No, but it's great talking to you guys. And I know it's a lot. It and is. Any, Anytime you want me, anytime you want me to come on at any specific points that people want to raise, like I say, so it's not just like, oh, Russian propaganda or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's specific. It's like, no, no. If they say no, Stefan Bandera was a great guy. He was not a Nazi collaborator, war criminal who executed people. I'll go I'll go through that point by point with anybody. I'd okay. love to do some reading yeah. on all this and have you back. Yeah. And 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 if you're like me and lazy, watch Ukraine on fire and then revealing Ukraine that I'm in. And those two films are really good. Igor did a fantastic job of taking a very complex subject. And putting it in like an hour and a half, two hours. So that's 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 and then then do what I did, which is when you're watching a film, take notes about like, okay, let me check out that point. Mm-hmm. That seems unbelievable. Let me go look that up. Okay. Thank you very much, cool. Lee. Well, thanks, Lee. Uh, remind people where they can find you. Sure. I'm on Stranahan on Twitter, and that's you can find most of my stuff goes through Twitter at some point. Cool. All right. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate your time. You bet. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.
Bye. All right. I was looking uh, up already Yelnya, <laughs> which is 150 miles from the border. Yeah, so so th that I know is true. Um, there are all these masses like coming close. They they describe troops on the border. They're not really on the border. They're like, you know, 170 kilometers in or whatever. Carrie, what's your what's your uh, what's your overall take after this? Because I've got a few well, things that I've I'd like to say, but I want you to go okay, first. Okay. Well, let me yeah. just. Could I tell you my very basic Ukraine? the history of what's happening for dummies and you tell me if I have it right or wrong. <laughs> I, well, I'm like dummy also. So oh, go no. ahead. <laughs> we'll, we'll try. I'm leading the blind. Yeah. <laughs> two plus two Jeeves. is not three, Carrie. It's five. Pull up Ask Jeeves. I trust him more than any of the media. Okay. He is the media. Um, so the way I understand it is after World War II, like around 1949 or so, NATO was created to and th and this was like the european a lot of the european countries and the united states and canada was created to uh sort of protect germany is this right it was an anti-soviet and yes but anti-soviet okay the threat from the nato threat was the soviet union that was the threat okay that was the threat and there was a promise made that nato wouldn't expand uh yeah i guess um, I thought that was I thought that promise was made after the fall of the Soviet Union, but okay. Oh, maybe again, I'm giving you the broad strokes of what I think I know, and I may be totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I feel like when we first started, when I was younger, and we and the the media was really pushing the Iraq War, I, I, I'm going to have to like get really get into this and learn all this stuff. So, like I did back then. And I spent a lot more time on it then than I have been now on this. So anyway, bear with me. This is the beginning of me trying to figure things out. So since then, we have been we have been kind of breaking that promise and trying to expand in different places. Like we've been sort of using NATO to stick our fingers in other people's pies. And in 2014, there was this push for, for Ukraine to become part of the EU or to do a deal with the EU. Is this correct? And it was not become part of the EU. It was a pretty lame deal. It was like a trade deal. It was it was not a. Uh, I've heard the former president of um, of uh, crap Estonia talk about this. Like it was not. It, it was you know. It was ten years away from an e, at best an EU membership, but it was like it was not close to an EU membership. It was like we can do some trade and some foreign exchange students and that kind of stuff. But yes, that did happen. Okay, but this guy Yanukovych, who he was talking about, basically said, "No, we're not doing this deal." I guess. Okay, and then there uh, were all these, <laughs> <laughs> then there were all these protests and riots, which sound like they might have been what's called a color revolution. And then we use that to push NATO into this area. Uh, okay. Well, I'll say, I'll tell you what I know and then we can okay. figure out what matches. <laughs> People right? watch right now like, why is anybody turning? Sorry guys. Hey, this is so, what learning looks like in real time. <laughs> yeah. We're going to do some learning. In real so I, I, Here's my understanding, and I'm trying to be uh, – let me just say my bias right up front so people know what my bias is. Um, 
I 100% don't trust anything our government is saying or our media is saying about anything. So let's start with that. I also have no reason to trust Putin. Um, like, as far as I know, he's probably a bad guy and, you know, doing bad things, just like most leaders. That's how um, I kind of come at so it, too. I don't trust That's anything. my starting point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's my bias, and, too. Yeah, and my other bias is uh, it's way over there, and I don't want to spend American lives and money on it. I don't care. I don't think we should be there, even if the entire narrative is true. And Putin is a warmonger and he's going to invade the Ukraine. Like, I don't want to be there. I don't think America should be there. I don't think we should be the world police. Like, all of like, so all of that is kind of my, that's my, but that's my starting point. Um, now that if we're going to talk about what's actually going on and what the history of that region is and whether like, you know, I'm not against private people deciding like i'm gonna you know if lockheed martin wants to donate a bunch of arms to the ukrainian people out of you know the goodness of their hearts great uh if they, if they think it's a good cause right but i don't want to pay for it as a, a taxpayer i don't my grandkids paying for it at it because they've done inflation and i don't want to send any troops over there because i don't think it's in america's direct interest um so now now let me talk about what i know about it first of all i think for, let's just get to crimea Crimea was conquered by, I think, I think one of the czars, but I think it was like conquered by Russia in like the 1780s or something. And if anyone in chat knows wow. knows anything here about, like, if you want to correct me, please do. I'm, I'm this is my kind of understanding. Um, and I think maybe the Turks had it or something. Like you know, is is a a time when there was lots of people fighting over land, and that's what happened. And and so the Russia conquered it, um, and. Uh, <laughs> Here we go. In 1774, the Ottoman Empire was defeated by Catherine the Great. Crimea was traded to Russia by the go. Ottoman Empire as part of the treaty provisions and annexed in 1783. Yeah. Okay. So the Turks. So fine. So so they take they take over. Um, they take over Crimea. It becomes Russian in the sense. Like, look, I, I don't believe in nation states, but okay, it becomes Russian because that's how nation states work, right? So. Um, <clears throat> So Crimea is Russian all the way through until, um, and I, I don't remember, I don't remember what Soviet leader it was. Uh, so I apologize, but it was, you know, it, I think it was Khrushchev. Or so it doesn't matter. Uh, as a political move, they gave Crimea to the Ukraine. Now, of course, that didn't really matter because everyone reports to the Kremlin. So, like, sure, you can have Crimea, but it didn't matter. Uh, and, and, but the other thing that you have to remember that the Soviets did or that Russia did when the Soviet Union was expanding and took over all these other areas is they, um, they engaged in some pretty abhorrent behavior. They pushed one of the reasons that you have Russians in a lot of these Baltic States is because they pushed people out that were there. They, they sent Russians there. They tried to undermine the local population, like the cultures of these local areas, foist Russian culture on them. And so like, there is a history of kind of Russian aggression for all these States, like pushing people in, taking land away and like trying to create a Russian slash Soviet culture out of whatever, culture had existed there at the time so there's definitely a history there and so when someone says like oh well these people in this area are mostly russian or there's a lot of russians there that might be true 
And the people that are there now didn't do anything. Like they're not the ones who went and, and did anything. However, uh, they are, they did actually like their ancestors, you know, like there, there's an argument there that like, well, it's not like this land was historic, whatever that means, historically Russian. And we all know about the Holodomor and, and um, the starvation of, of millions of Ukrainians. And so like, there's been horrible, horrible things done to many Baltic states by the Soviet Union, which is mm -hmm. mostly Russia, right? So like the history here is complex and there's a, there is a history of bad, bad behavior. Now, my understanding about when we, when we fast forward to recent history, my understanding, and again, people can correct me if I'm wrong here, is that post collapse of the Soviet Union, um, part of the, so we needed, uh, everyone was worried about Ukraine having nukes, right? Everyone wanted Ukraine to give up nukes. Uh, cause obviously the Soviets had nukes in, in Ukraine. And so in exchange for giving up nukes, uh, I believe Russia and everyone else agreed to ex re uh, respect Ukraine's borders. Like, look, well, you've got to protect us. Like we'll give up our nukes, but you know, now this is a way that we could defend ourselves. So you need to, you need to agree to protect us, uh, and, and respect our borders. And, uh, but but another part of that deal was Russia gets to have the deep sea port in Sebastopol. They get to have that. They get to maintain that base, which is in Crimea. Like that was part of that deal, also. Um, so that that's that's all my understanding of of what's been going on. Now there's some more nuanced stuff that I or some more recent stuff that I kind of have an understanding of with respect to intermediate. Uh, range nuclear weapons, but we can skip over that. Um, my understanding of the 2014 revolution is, I, and I, I can I see people in chat and and from uh, Ukraine saying no, that was a grassroots or the thing. We you know we, the guy was corrupt. We kicked him out. I don't believe that you're you're probably wrong, even about your own country. And the reason I'm going to say that is that's what an average person in the U.S. would say about. Yes. Everything about. going on here. And that's not true. The deep state is involved. And like maybe there was some sentiment there. Maybe there already is some sentiment there. Maybe there were real problems. Maybe there was a movement. But I find it hard to believe that the U.S., given what we know about the U.S. and their meddlesome nature everywhere, especially given some evidence that we have about this, was not involved in pushing them over the edge and getting this to happen. And just to be Here's clear, the Victorian... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, a great example of that is, is, yeah, here you have people who think Black Lives Matter is a grassroots thing that started or that right. they think all this stuff is just or the resist against Trump is a grassroots thing that started. No. And and another another great point of where Russia was meddling in the 2016 election, they had Russia. We know that they were going on Facebook and they were starting um, uh, rival protests on the same day in the same city that Russia was going in and, and creating anti-Trump protests in a city and in the same day creating a pro-Trump protest. So they were creating Black Lives Matter events and then pro-Trump stuff on the same day in the same city. And there are people going to both of those things saying, I'm here, this is a grassroots thing, you know? That's how that's yeah. how it can be both perceived as grassroots but not. It's pushed by yeah. someone. In that case pushed by Russia. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, you know, we would be naive to think that this region of the world that we don't understand well is the one spot in the entire history of all humanity where there was only one side who was being an aggressor and the other side was completely innocent all the time. Like, 
probably that's not true either. So I don't know everything that was going on, but but clearly Russia was involved in a lot of aggression. And and I and I think this phone call that he refers to, this F the EU phone call. Now remember, this is Victoria Newland. I think she was the Undersecretary of State. This is when so Biden was in charge. Biden was in charge of Ukraine when he was vice president. And Victoria Newland has this phone call in which she is naming, and she's with someone in the Ukraine in Ukraine. She is saying, she's talking about the revolution that hasn't happened yet. Saying, this is the per no, this person shouldn't be prime minister. This person should be that person here, should have be more, this person should have this role. She's naming people and what roles they should have. Now, this got leaked. I think it was leaked. Uh, I think people suspect that it was Russia that intercepted this and leaked it, but it doesn't matter. Uh, this phone call gets leaked. And then this, what I'm going to call a color revolution happens in Ukraine. And lo and behold, the exact people she names are the people that get installed uh, in the way that she wanted. You also see weird things with like, this is when Bursama Holdings uh, which is an, a large Ukrainian energy company. They had close ties to the previous government. Uh, after this overthrow there, uh, you know, they decide they need to, you know, like most uh, shady businessmen, they need to have, or, or even businessmen operating under a non-free uh, economy, need to have ties to the government to make sure that they still, you know, can operate. That's when they go out and add someone to their board of directors, not someone from the Ukrainian government, but Hunter Biden, which should tell you all you need to know about who they thought had power in Ukraine in the new government, right? And I, so look, I don't know, I don't know if there's minor nuance here or details that I'm missing, but I will say that this this weird narrative that you hear our news say, oh, Russia, you know, they they annexed Crimea as if it's some they make it sound like it was an invasion and like that's not really what happened uh you have the donbass region which is on the east side of ukraine after this this revolution in 2014 you've got a lot of russians again maybe russians that were not there for generations but whatever you get a lot of russians saying well if you guys can overthrow your governments we can overthrow our local governments and russia backed them as far as i can tell maybe even sent some clandestine forces there and like so there's been some argument there. Donbass region has voted to be part of Russia and, and Putin has said no, as far as I understand. Um, so you've like, it's, it's kind of a mess. And I guess my whole point about this whole thing is exactly that. It's kind of a mess. So when CNN says Putin is, is doing all these horrible things and it's all one-sided and the U S is just on the side of goodness and righteousness, that's not like, that's, I mean, just the fact that it's being said, like Lee mentioned, like it's you should just not, not believe it because that's this narrative. Um, so it's probably not true. Um, and they do say things like massing troops on the border, and like it's not actually the border. On the same by the same token, he's in Belarus and like he's kind of surrounding Ukraine in many ways. Like so, you know. And then when the U.S. sent these documents were leaked the other day, where the the U.S. and NATO response to to Russia. You know, it starts off with some it's clearly in, in like antagonistic shit saying, you know, you, you know, you should give back Crimea. <laughs> like, it's like, well, that's not going to happen. That that was years ago. It's not going to happen. 
like it's just something to say to antagonize them um you know there has been talk no one really wants ukraine and nato anyway but the u.s doesn't want to say we promise not to have ukraine and nato because the u.s doesn't want to make it look like russia can override whatever we want even though no one actually wants ukraine and nato the whole thing is just a mess and if you look at it from russia's perspective even if they're evil horrible people or at least even if putin is evil and horrible how would the u.s feel how did the u.s feel when the soviet union would parked nukes in cuba not great Right. Like so like if 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 Putin was in Ottawa <laughs> and like or, you know, I think we would be like, well, that's kind of aggressive, dude. Um, and so that's how he feels when NATO is because NATO has expanded its border. Someone said there was not a uh, an agreement to not do that. So maybe there wasn't. But regardless of whether there was an agreement, NATO has encroached and expanded its borders and moved them, you know, more and more of those Baltic states have become members of NATO. And that's, you know, dangerously close to Russia. And I would argue as someone who doesn't like any of these international alliances from the beginning, uh, NATO should have been dissolved the moment the Soviet Union was dissolved. Like the moment the Soviet Union stopped, we should have been like, great, that's not the power dynamic anymore. If we need to sit down and have a conversation about about mutual protection or agreements, let's just wipe the slate clean and start over because there is no Soviet Union anymore. That threat's not there. Maybe Russia is a threat, but it's a different kind of a threat. The whole thing's different. Um, and especially now, the, the, the complication to all of this is China's a bigger threat often than, say than Russia in the nope. first place. Russia's a little bit nervous about China also. So it's like the whole thing is kind of antiquated and a mess. Why – this is a question I asked Lee on his show. Uh, just why would the machine, the media, the CA, why would they be pushing for this? Is it what it always is? It's just further expansion, resources, the the boon that we usually get when we go to war? Like, Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, – you can see that the well, we know this. The NATO expansion policy is a brainchild of a Lockheed Martin executive. Uh, at least that's according to what I've <laughs> read and heard. Like this was a, a pet project of Lockheed Martin to convince um, convince the U.S. that we needed to start expanding NATO. I mean, I there are clearly there's you know there's lobbyists for the defense industry, just like there's lobbyists for. Every other industry. I mean, why are we anywhere in the Middle East? Why are we doing a lot of the stuff? It's, you know, we're, we feel like there's an entire deep state of uh, both, both actual funded by the government, but also just NGOs that are of think tanks. And there's a whole cabal of hawkish deep state actors who look, look around the world and decide, you know, where can the U.S. get involved? Like, how can we meddle and justify it? I mean, it's it's how they it's it's their existence, right? And they, I think, the premise that they start with, which is a false premise in my mind, is it's the U.S.'s job to right injustices around the globe, except in places where we don't care about, like Africa. Because if you really cared, maybe you would go to Africa and stop some of the genocide and the and stuff going on there. But no, we really care about Europe, so. We're going to meddle in Europe a lot more and we're going to stay away from Asia because we're terrified of China. Like, OK, so it's just I mean, it's just kind of this bully mentality. What can we get away with inserting our nose where it doesn't belong? And all of them are 
uh, allergic to the idea that the U.S. should go home, be a trading partner to whomever, focus on its own, you know, immediate, any immediate security threats, its own border, its own economy, its own whatever, and, you know, leave Europe to Europeans. They don't like that idea. There's a couple things that I also agree with you on about in terms of just in general, no matter if Russia is this aggressor in the Ukraine, if the narrative they're presenting is correct, I don't agree that it's our job to go in and determine, like we're going to come in and, and spread democracy. I just don't think right. that's, I don't think that's what we need to be doing. So I typically, I think, I think, and I have to think about this more because I do believe in interceding in something like uh, World War II and what was happening in the Holocaust. You know, of course, I guess it, for me, the line is just, we seem to, that line gets pushed back further and further to where we just say there's this new leadership in town and we don't like it and we're going I mean, in. Yeah, I mean, or the, they made the up stories like, like they did in Iraq. Yeah. They made up stories about babies dying in incubators. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, it's hard to draw a principled line. Like, unless you're prince, so I'm not a nation state person, as you know, anyway. But if you're going to have a, a nation state, um, I think I could draw a pretty bright line with like, okay, what do we reasonably think is actually in our like immediate interest? Like, you know we're worried about being invaded and conquered. Like, yes, we need defense. We need like that. That's very clear. Right. So, and you know, that might be, and there might be some fuzziness there with certain actions. Like, is it actually an aggression and, and whatever? Like I get that, but that like that principle is pretty, kind of pretty clear, but where we are now as, as the world police, I mean, if, if you, if you switch that principle from we, we should be caring about the immediate interest of the United States to, we should care about every wrong that's done on the planet. Like, well, then we should be arresting thieves in Cairo. Like, like literally everything becomes our problem. Right. And, or, and that's know, just not, in that's not our China, problem. Like <laughs> there's slave labor. <laughs> and sure. We, yeah. Like we're there's not going slave in labor in Libya. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, again, it doesn't, I'm not belittling the suffering and the atrocities that are happening. And I, I think the U S should stand against them very clearly on a moral perspective. And I would support, you know, I, I'm the kind of, because I'm more free markets guy. If someone's like, look, I'm raising some money in an army to go kick out this dictator in this place that's hurting, hurting people. Like I wouldn't stop them from doing it either, but it's different to say we're forcing our citizens to pay with their lives and money for this, like it's become a U.S. interest. Like that's a different thing. And that's not, I don't think that's a proper role of the U.S. government. Um, so, you know, I there's someone in chat who is challenging me on, on or was challenging Lee um, specifically on, on some facts. And I don't, like, I don't know. This person's like, hey, you know, it's a fact that Crimea was invaded. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's not what I've seen. I don't, I don't think anyone is hurt. I mean, isn't that a fact? No one was hurt. Uh, so that's kind of a weird invasion. Uh, I know they did leave the base and go out into the streets, but like I, to call that an invasion is weird. The same person in chat said it's not true that Azov is part of the Ukrainian government. I don't know. I'll tell you what Wiki Wikipedia says. Wikipedia, now maybe they're wrong. Maybe Wikipedia is wrong. I'm not calling you a liar, but Wikipedia says on the 12th of November, 2014, 
Azov was incorporated into the National Guard of Ukraine, and since then, all members are contract soldiers serving in the National Guard of Ukraine. It sounds like it's at least government-related. I, I don't know. Is that technically exactly the government? Who knows, right? So there's just so much here, and uh, I, I think the, the thing that's frustrating about all this is I think that we shouldn't have to – like if, you, if you're interested in this, care about the details and learn about it. But should we have to know the truth here and what's going on? Like I don't know. I mean, like, I don't think so because it's none of our business. We don't have to be involved in this. So, like, you don't have to know what's going on to say, I don't want to be involved in provoking a war with a nuclear superpower halfway around the globe that's nowhere near our borders. So, can we read a couple questions in case you have answers? This is not a super chat. Sure, yeah. Um, somebody says... Oh, this is funny. Tax Terra says Canada would be more free under Putin. <laughs> uh, thank you, Tax Terra. Uh, somebody had a question for you. Uh, Renovatio says, tell me, Carter, if the Chinese had 100,000 troops on the U.S. border, would you not call it aggression? I wouldn't say it's Russia's problem. That's my point. It might be aggression. And maybe the Ukraine can feel aggressed against. That's fine. I'm in California. It's not my fucking problem. That's my point. That is my point. And they're not on the border. They are a couple hundred miles away. But like I said, I don't understand the nuances there. Maybe that's a very aggressive thing. He is in Belarus. Like, I think Putin, I'm not as, you know, uh, I'm not as big of a Putin fanboy. Like, I think he has said stuff that indicate that he, you know, idolizes the, the Russian empires of old and would like to expand. Like, he may very well be a real threat. But, uh... <laughs> I wouldn't say Russia's morally obligated to get into war with China on our behalf because China has some troops in Vancouver. Like, I'm sorry. That's just, I wouldn't do that. Human Kirk gives us a super chat and says, all I would say is uh, that Trump did more to bolster the Ukraine than Obama ever did. Biden is weak. Russia and China know this. I, look, I don't know. And if someone else makes it a point in chat, it, the China analogy isn't great because they don't have a border with us. Yeah, that's true. If we shared a border with China um, and they were moving troops around near the border, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know whether we would be – whether we would two, think that it's a threat or not. I don't know. Here's two quote, two comments in a row that are pretty similar. Uh, Demon Slayer says, how can we defend the border and sovereignty of another country when we can't even defend our own border and sovereignty? And Gene Ellis says, the southern borders have been and are being overrun. Is that not an invasion? Yeah, being here in Texas and seeing the fact that the the not the, not the uh, federal government nor the state government seem to care very much about what's happening at the border – um, we have a governor who you see he's sort of paying lip service to it now, finally. But if he gets yeah. reelected, I don't know if he'll continue. <laughs> uh, anyway, G-Man. Yeah, and, and by the way, wait, I just I want to like no, – again, I'm not trying to say I don't sympathize with people in, in Baltic states. Like maybe there, maybe there is real aggression and like you should be able to defend yourselves and, and the extent that you can – convince other people voluntarily to do it uh, and not, uh, you know, not have them force their population to pay for it and do it. 
you know, you should like, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's nothing bad happening, but what I am saying is as an American, the threats from Washington, the threats, my biggest threat is not like the thing that is threatening to us is not what's going on in Europe. It's just not, it's what's going on in Washington, DC. That's where the threat is. Our country is literally crumbling and we're running around like the best thing we had, like the most important thing we need to do is argue about what Putin is doing in, in and around Ukraine. It's it, yeah. maybe it's all horrible. It's, it's less horrible than the way that Washington treats us. Like we yeah. need to fix our country. Yeah. We have uh, increased crime. We've increased uh, anxiety, depression rates, domestic violence has gone up. All these problems. We have a border <laughs> that's overrun, as Gina said. We have uh, people, you know, the price of food has gone up. It's going to keep going up. The price of gas. We have all of these issues. And then our White House is spending time issuing statements about Joe Rogan and Spotify and how we need to go <laughs> aggress right. in some other country. Sensor. Yeah, just these. Oh, you froze. Why did you freeze? Did she freeze for everyone or just me? Uh, maybe she'll come back. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and again, I'm still getting arguments. Hey, Russians can hit California with their missiles. Maybe. Maybe. And, and <laughs> you got to understand the way that we are in relationship with anyone else with nuclear weapons is basically mutually assured destruction. Like, like we, we shouldn't be trying to get into a war. We should, anyone who's got nuclear weapons, we should probably get along with because yeah, if they've got ballistic <laughs> nuclear weapons, they can reach our cities and there's not much we can do about that. If you're, if you're trying to make an argument that we should invent cool technology to stop that, sure. But if your argument is Russia could nuke us all, therefore we need to get into a war with them in the U in, in Ukraine, therefore we need to bo be bothering them somewhere that's not our border. That just increases the chance that they do nuke California. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, if they are a giant bear and we're afraid to poke it, let's not poke it. Like, let's relax, focus on being friends with the bear. We've got mutually assured destruction, which is the best we can do right now, as far as I know, unless you've got some cool inventions in your back pocket. So, like, why, why are you like, hey, they, they might be able to nuke us, so let's go kick them in the face. Like, what are you talking about? Why would you do that? Yeah. I would like to live. Are you reading Super Chats? Uh, no, I haven't been. We could. Someone well, says, can they promise to nuke California? Yeah, I mean, if I could, if you give me some time to get out, I'm not sure it would be horrible. All right. Uh, we should read some Super Chats. Ten, $10 from G-Man. Is that your dog and your avatar? That's cute. He says... Several Western superpowers have blamed Russia for elaborate schemes threatening democracy. Russia has such powerful reach. I'm just patiently waiting for them to take over the world. Look, I mean, maybe, I mean, I know that's kind of a joke, but maybe, 
maybe they are going to try and take over the world and we should deal with that if their plan is to take over. But the truth is, uh, you know, when I spoke to Scott Horton the other day, he made a point that like, I, I think is spot on. We don't really have any major enemies anymore, like major states that are enemies, even China, like they're not, they're not like getting ready to invade us. They're not even talking about how they need to take over the United States. They're not like they're, we're trading partners. Like we, like people go back and forth from these countries. Like, yeah, they're bad countries. Yeah. They've got lots of authoritarianism and other crap. And we should, we should fight that on principle, at least like verbally and, and, and on that front. But we don't need to go picking hot wars with, with people just because, you know, their government sucks. Our government sucks too. Maybe it doesn't suck as bad. Although sometimes I'm not even sure of that, but there's no this idea that like we're not playing risk if we lose we die i think sometimes i i've noticed this on a small scale like on twitter people will sometimes i think get into a hot war with other people just because they have a lot of frustration and anger about the state of the world or other things going on or they want a distraction and like as a part of individual psyche, I've seen people kind of spiral out in a fit and then, um, and then, and then people talk past one another and then there's both people get defensive. And then, and so I was just thinking about human nature and this, this, and how that, how does that relate to large scale? And in a way, I think maybe we do that sometimes too, where it's like, let's just go to war. It'll be good for us. We want a distraction from all the problems here. And, let's all get on board with this thing. And it's sort of fun to have an enemy. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's easier to hate on a country that few people have been to that's on the other side of the world that you can point to bad things are doing and say, they're the enemy. We need to go fight them. That's, you know what? That's a coward's way out because that's an easy battle to fight. I mean, we might all die, but like, it's very straightforward and you don't have to sort anything out. You just declare them the enemy and go running forward with your, your bayonet virtually and like charge. You know what the real enemy is? We've got cancer and it starts in Washington, D.C. Do you want to face that? Because that's the real enemy. That's the enemy. Speaking of, have you seen Biden issuing tweets about how we're going to eradicate cancer? Oh, uh, I do remember that. I remember the campaign promise. That uh, he's been tweeting about it recently and it's sort of terrifying. <laughs> Because you just know it's going to come with mandates and require. We're going to eradicate cancer. We're going to kill everyone. Corpses yeah. don't get cancer. QED. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, uh, you know, I I want to wait. Wait. I want to make one more point. Yeah. Um. I don't think Americans. I want. Well, not just Americans. I think most of us don't realize how. Truly, true. I'm not like I'm not a I'm not a hippie, right? I don't think they realize how truly, truly close we have come in history to complete destruction of humankind yeah. through global thermonuclear war. There's two instances that I know. There may be more. Um, the first one I learned about was a few years ago when I uh, I was at a, an event and I forget the guy's name, but he's a very well known anti nuclear proliferation dude, and he. He told the story 
about a Russian officer who, uh, I don't even remember where in Russia they were, but it was during the Soviet era, the Soviet officer, who the, the computer system oh, said yeah. that the U.S. had launched an attack. And we were, they were supposed to, he was supposed to have launched a counterattack. And the only reason he didn't was he didn't trust the computer. Now, and he wasn't supposed to. Like, he disobeyed. He, he did what he was not supposed to do and, and delayed and waited and tried to figure out if they could figure out whether it was a computer glitch. And it turned out it was a computer glitch. And so they didn't launch all of their nukes against all of our cities. That's how close we came there. And another one in the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, there was another uh, a Russian sub that was out of contact. They didn't know what was going on. They were under underwater, so they couldn't have any contact. They were a diesel sub, and they had nuclear capability. And there were three people. Normally, there was only, I think, only two people. The political officer and the captain needed to agree to fire. But that happens to be that there was a, someone else on the sub who was like the commander of the fleet or something or someone else. And so that person also had to agree. Even though that person was ranked below the captain, they had some other role that and meant they because they were on the sub. Something, right? Yeah, and that person said no. Yeah. That person said no. And the other two said yes. That person's the only reason that we didn't have global thermonuclear war. Yeah. I mean, the idea that just because it hasn't happened doesn't mean that the risk isn't real and that we shouldn't be really, really careful with this. And the, the idea of like, let's go have, let's go have a, uh, a ground war or whatever with a, a nuclear superpower is just, you're just asking. I mean, I don't think you can actually want to do that unless fundamentally part of you is just a nihilist. I mean, you are just asking for the destruction of all humankind. And I, yeah. Well, there's a lot of nihilism that's rampant. I know. And you know, know. The, the really, there's a there's some kind of dark comedy sketch there. Like, if the bombs ever drop here, it'll happen while we're arguing over gender-neutral bathrooms and like right. preferred pronouns and all this ridiculous shit. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, okay. We're going to read your super chats, guys. I know there's some disagreement today, which is interesting. And Johnny Boy Quick Draw, $5, says Putin doesn't take part of the money I earn and threaten to cage me for ingesting certain plants. <laughs> also, did you miss the super chat from Rachel Maddow? I didn't see a super I chat. I saw it. Oh. I saw the super chat from Rachel Maddow. Let's wait. Hold on. Let me find it. Uh, where'd it go? There was a super chat from Rachel Maddow, and now I can't find it. Uh, well, while you look for it, Human Kurt, five, it. Yeah. 5 Lira, says, happy to catch you live again, Carter and Carrie. This has been an interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, there was. I, I don't know if the person who was Rachel Maddow changed their name uh, so that, like, now it's not loading as Rachel there it Maddow. Is. Oh, there it is. Rachel Maddow, when Putin shuts down our power grid next winter, you'll be singing a different tune. You'll be sorry. You'll all be sorry. <laughs> who is <laughs> that? That was G-Man. It's G-Man. Oh. I found it. It's G-Man. But I, I reloaded the Super Chats, and so oh. – he changed his name back to G-Man, and uh, <laughs> so I didn't realize that was the Rachel. And that was a good, that was good G-Man. That's, um, yeah, that's pretty funny. Keep going. You have more you want to read? That's the only ones I have. Uh, while you're reading the next one, I have I do have a picture I want Beverly to put up, and I want to see if you can guess what this is. Okay. It's related. Don't worry. 
if you guys are just listening, you won't, you'll have to, we'll have to tell you what this is after. Um, but you can read, read the next super chat while she's pulling it up. Well, I mean, the, uh, I'll start from the beginning. There it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> is that a Ritz cracker? Yeah. Do you get it? No. Oh, Putin on the Ritz. Yeah. Putin on Putin the Ritz. On the Ritz. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't get this then you are pretty young i there was someone i can't remember who i was i showed this to and they didn't get it and i was like come on putting on the ritz <laughs> putting on the ritz. Okay. visual visual puns um all right tara t just gives us five bucks and says honk colin p gives us 10 bucks and says honk honk and shows a bunch of trucks with a canadian flag uh, Francis Montgomery says, according to critical race theory, how is Whoopi Goldberg's take on the Holocaust ideologically wrong? Uh, well, it's, it's weird, right? Okay. Because according to critical race theory, race isn't actually a thing, but it is a construct. So as long as it's a construct that we understand, then it is a thing. So um, I think according to crit critical race theory, uh, she can make that argument, and that's, I don't think it's wrong, right? Yeah, yeah. According to critical race yeah. theory, it's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, JB says, "Shout out to Dangerous Thoughts with Scott and Horton and the sparkly comments." True or not? Only one narrative is acceptable: war. Yeah, like I said, I don't know all the details of all the stuff, but uh, I'm tired of hearing like getting my entire information, all the information, and and all the narrative comes from Brian Stelter. I mean, come on. I think we should question that, guys. <laughs> like, how let's, he that, let's hear the other side. <laughs> what do they have? How did that guy get that job? I mean, out of all of the TV talking heads, out of all the propaganda pushers, he is the most. I mean, at least Anderson Cooper and Don Lemon, those guys are kind of handsome and charming. And I can see, I can see how they rise yeah. up to that position. But how did that guy, that talking potato, get that? His his voice is not appealing. His face is not appealing. He he's clearly low IQ. There's not really anything that you can point to to say this makes him a, a shoe in for this kind of role. I just don't. Get, does he have something on people? He's got to be someone's like brother <laughs> or cousin or something like that. We yeah. don't know. Like it's or, or like the he married into a family and they're like, can you just give my my new brother-in-law job. Okay, he can host yeah. CNN. I don't uh, understand that one. Anyway, out of all of them, I, he probably yeah. bothers me more than any of the other talking – more than Rachel Maddow. More, I understand more Rachel Maddow. Yeah. She's smart. She's not low IQ. She's smart. She, you, may, you may disagree with her opinions, but, but you know, she's not stupid. And, and she, she has a good look. She, she's poised. She appeals to a particular audience and, and there's yes. a – yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I used to love her when I was on the left. Um, I disagree with her a lot now. I, I definitely think she's being used to push propaganda, but I understand how she got into that position. And I used to listen to her back in the radio days when she was, wasn't she on with Sam Cedar, um, Air mm -hmm. America, and that whole network with uh, Al Franken and stuff. Anyway, I understand how she got to that point. I don't, I mean, somebody needs to do a deep dive into Brian Stelter. Like, what does this guy have on people? How did it happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did Brian Stelter happen? Uh, was incest involved? Um, all right. I'll, I'll fight you naked says, just pulled one of my articles. Thanks to this guy. Uh, okay. Um, 
Human Kirk says, all I would say is Trump did more to bolster Ukraine than Obama ever did. Biden is weak. Russia and China that know one. this. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Did we read this one from G-Man? Several Western yeah. superpowers have... Okay, we got that one. What about... Happy to catch you live again, Carter and Carrie. This has been an interesting conversation from Human We got Carter. that one, too. Okay. What about the two from Otto Rommel? That's new. Ukraine is a problem because Obama pushed to get them into NATO. Russia has sub-bases in Rostov-on-Don. Look at a map. Ukraine could cut off Russia's access from Azov to the Black Sea. Well, I, that's the Sebastopol base, right? Like, they're, they're only... That's their Black Sea base, right? I think. Oh, that's your next comment. Of course, Russia couldn't let that happen. Sevastopol on Crimea is a major naval port and dry dock for Russia's Navy. Obama's moves pushed Russia to take Crimea. Right. So, I mean, and that's, again, and people can maybe argue about this or that, but I mean, I think it's important to have, it's important to not say the only perspective that's valid is the CNN hawkish perspective on all this, like, all right, let's hear, let's let's put on the uh, on on uh, let's put on a Russian hat and think of ourselves as Putin, and take a look at some of this. Um, so, I think that's all the super chats. I think we got through got through the super chats. Um, uh, this is not a super chat, but Rock Lexicon says, "Carrie Stelter got his job because of Jeff Zucker. He'll probably be out now that the Zuck stepped down." That's interesting. I wonder. If that happens, oh. then we'll know who he had something on. Stelter's smile creeps me out. Yes. Yes. He's got a crazy sociopathic smile, like a fox in a hen house smile. He's like an evil George Costanza. Yeah. Uh, he, Anne says he looks like he's bad in bed. <laughs> well, well, yeah, Anne. I'm not going <laughs> to speculate. <laughs> Uh, anyway, there we go. Um, by the way, before we leave the Russia Ukraine thing, did you see uh, Ned Price's press conference? No, <sighs> Beverly, go. It's there's a there's a thing in Notion, Beverly, that says Ned Price for Smatley. Pull it up. We, we have to watch this. Okay. Uh, this is. This is uh this is the deep state, and they've said he. You, what, let me just introduce it. He is saying, "Hey, we have evidence. We have reason to believe that Putin is going to stage a false flag operation. Um, that he will use as an excuse to invade Ukraine, and it will involve fake, like like dead bodies and that kind of stuff, and like actors, like crazy level shit." And a one reporter, a guy named Matt Lee, decides to actually do a job of reporting a little bit and pushes back. And it's like, uh, what's your evidence? Watch this guy fumble. I know it's kind of a long clip, but watch this guy fumble. It's, it's crazy. Uh, thanks. Uh, okay, well, that's a, quite a mouthful there. Um, so you said actions such as these suggest otherwise suggest meaning that they, they suggest they're not interested in talks and they're going to go ahead with some kind of a, what action are you talking about one the actions i've just pointed to uh the what fact action? What? The, the fact that russia continues to engage uh in disinformation well, uh, you, know, you made an allegation that they might 
do that. Have they actually done it? Uh, what we know, Matt, is what we what I have just said that they have engaged in this activity, well, uh, in this planning well, activity. But, activity. But let me let me because because obviously this is not this is not the first time we've made uh, these reports public. You'll remember that just a few well, weeks I, ago. I'm sorry, you, made, made what report public? If you let me finish, I will okay. tell you what report we made okay. public. Uh, we told you a few weeks ago that we have information indicating Russia also has already prepositioned a group of operatives to conduct a false flag operation in eastern Ukraine. So that, Matt, to your question, is an action that Russia has already well, taken. It's an action that you say that they have taken, but you have shown no evidence to, 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 to confirm that. And I'm going to get to the next question here, which is, what is the evidence that they, I mean, this is like crisis actors, really? This is like Alex Jones territory you're getting into then. Um, what evidence do you have to support the idea that there is some propaganda film in the in in the making? Now, this is derived uh, from information known to the U.S. government, intelligence information that we have declassified. I think you well, know. Okay, well, where where is it? Where Where is this information? It is intelligence information that we have declassified. Well, where is it? Where, where is the declassified information? I just delivered it. But, no, you made a series <laughs> of allegations and would statements. You, would you like us to print it out the topper? Because you will see a transcript of this briefing that you can print out for that's, yourself. That's not evidence, Ned. That's you <laughs> saying it. That's not evidence. I'm sorry. <laughs> what would you like, Matt? I, I, I would like to see some proof <laughs> that, you, that, 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 that you can show that that Matt, you have that, been that, that shows you, that 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 you, shows that the Russians are doing this. Ned, I've been doing this for a while. I long know that time. was my point. As, you as, you as have you, know. you you have been doing this for quite a while. You know yeah. that when we declassify intelligence That's information, right. and I we do so in, in a means a we do and so I, and, we do so with an eye to protecting that, that sources and methods. Not gonna fall. I, I remember a lot of things. So where, where where is the declassified information other than you coming out here and saying? Matt, I'm sorry you don't like the format, uh, but we have it's declassified. It's not the format; it's the content. I'm sorry you don't like the content. I'm sorry it's you. I'm sorry like you are doubting the information that is in the possession of the U.S. government. No, I, I, what I'm telling you is I'm that I'm doubting that you, what you're saying. We are making it available to you uh, in order uh, for a couple reasons. One is to attempt to deter the Russians from going ahead with this activity. Two, in the event we're not able to do that, in the event the Russians do go ahead with this, to make it clear as day to lay bare the fact that this has always been an attempt but on you the didn't part lay of the Russian Federation to fabricate no. a pretext. No, he gets called on it. Yeah, but you don't have any any evidence to back it up other than what you're saying. It's like you're saying, we think we, we, we have information the Russians may do this. But you won't tell us what the information well, is. That, and then when, when, that, when you're that, asked, that, that is the idea behind when, deterrence, Matt. When, that is the idea behind asked, deterrence. And when it is asked, our hope that the Russians don't go forward what the with this. Is, you say, I just gave it to you. But that, that's not what you you seem not to not understand. Not you seem not to no, understand no, no, the idea of deterrence. We are trying to deter the Russians from moving forward with this type of activity. That is why we're making it public today. If the Russians don't go forward with this, that is not. Uh, ipso facto, an indication that they never had plans to do so. Uh, but then it's unprovable. <laughs> I mean, my God, what is the evidence <laughs> that you have that suggests that, that, that the Russians are even planning this? Matt, you, I mean, I'm not you, saying that they're not, but you just come out and say this and expect us just to, to, to believe it. Just to trust you. you showing a shred of evidence. Why should we trust that you? That is actually true. Other than yeah. when I ask, 
or what anyone else asked, what's the information? You said, well, I just gave it to you, which was just you making a statement. Matt, you said yourself, <laughs> you've been in this business for quite a long time. You know that when we make information, uh, intelligence information public, we do so uh, in, a, in a way that protects sensitive sources and methods. You also know that we do so, we declassify information <laughs> only when we're confident in that information. There's not, there's not, That's amazing. That's right? amazing. I mean, to go back to the beginning, of this episode when Lee was making the joke about if you catch your, if you catch your spouse in, in bed with someone else and they're like, Hey, it's just Russian disinformation. You, this isn't it real. Be. It could just yeah, be Russian. It could, it could just be Russian. <laughs> That's like, you know, we, we are living in a, a world now where is it, is it worse than it used to be where somebody's like here, I want the evidence. I feel like in the past, they, the person answering would have uh, felt obligated to say, well, they would have felt obligated to say, well, I can't show you the evidence or there is no evidence. Now they don't feel obligated. They just say, I've given it to you. Really? What's it's like, who's on first? Well, what is it? You oh, gave it to me. The evidence yeah. is me saying this happened. No, it's not. You're saying it happened. Where's the evidence to prove that I gave it right, to you there's, now? Yeah. There's an honest <laughs> way to do this, which is to say, um, I can't reveal the evidence. There's a national security reasons. I can't give you any of the evidence, but I'm giving you our conclusion. This is what we think is going to happen. I actually can't offer any evidence because it would compromise whatever. Like that's what I'm doing. But there's no evidence. I'm just I'm making this claim. There's I'm not. I can't give you evidence for it. But this is a claim I'm making. At least that would be honest. But he's like, no, I have given you evidence. What's the evidence? I just he's, made the claim. Like th yes. that's not evidence. And you know why I think he's not outright just saying. If there were evidence, he would say there's evidence, but I can't believe for this reason. They want to, if at some point they get caught lying down the road, they want to be able to say, we never. Yep. Did Carrie just freeze for everyone else as well? I don't know why she's freezing a couple times today, but uh, yeah, she's right. Uh, that's exactly they, 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 I, I think they don't have the evidence. I don't think there is evidence. Um, and of course, uh, it's unprovable as that reporter said, like there's nothing, it happens or doesn't happen. You can't blame them for being wrong because they didn't say anything. Yes. They like, really look at the tent, the language tense here. Also, he's saying, am I freezing again or am I okay? No, you're here. I got you. You're he's here. basically saying, you know, that when there's evidence. Oh, she froze again. You froze again. All right. I don't know. I don't know why Carrie's freezing again. Um, but yeah, that's your government for you. And, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, did you notice that the reporter was like, I have been around for a while. And he mentioned a few failures. Uh, he's like, Oh, Kabul won't fall and oh Iraq war like he mentioned like yeah I've been a while that's why I don't trust you because I've been around that's exactly why I'm asking you for some fucking evidence um I the deep state the the interesting thing is that the larger and more powerful the deep state becomes um the less competent it becomes all at once, right? So this is a problem that you know, uh, when if you run a business, if you run a small business, you can have all A players that you hire, you can pay them well, and it's, it's, I mean, it's hard still to find all A players, but you can kind of do it. But if you run a giant organization, you can't, there aren't enough A players, so you have to build your organization around C players because that's, you can't get all A players. 
that's that's what the the government is like. the The larger it gets, the less competent it gets. It gets more power, but the people that it can hire um, are you just get less and less competent people. And I think this this we're at, we're at the point now where they can't even hire someone to not look like a complete buffoon at at in front of the press uh, when asked about their propaganda. Carrie, you're back, I think. I don't I don't want to disappoint you. I'll probably freeze again. I don't know what's happening. It's it's maybe it's the uh, Texas storm. Although it's, it seems to be going away now. So oh. it's it's sunny outside now. Um I was just making the point that he wasn't saying there's evidence that and that we're not going to reveal it. He's saying that's what we usually do. Right. Which which provides an opening in case you get caught lying, then you can say Oh, I, di- I didn't say there was evidence. I said usually if we have evidence, we don't reveal it. You know, it's like a, it's like the for true crime people. Do, do you remember Michael Peterson who ki- allegedly killed his wife in North Carolina in Durham? There's a whole uh, documentary called The Staircase. When he talks about the events of that night, he's like, he's like describing what they did, and he said, but what he's he's saying. Well, what we would have done is had dinner and then we would have sat here on the couch. Usually we would sit and, and usually we would talk for hours and then we would go out and sit by. But he what he doesn't say this is what we did. He says oh, this is what we usually do. This is what we would have done. That way so he's if, telling the truth. Right. That way, if he gets caught in one minor lie and they're like, hey, we have evidence you didn't go out to the pool that night. He can be like, oh, you're right. But oh, but what I said was that's what we would usually have done. And yeah, that one night we didn't though. Like that's how you get, they evade. And that's what this guy makes me think of. Cause if they ever come back and say, there was no evidence, you lied to us. He was like, well, I never said there was evidence. I said that if there were evidence, we wouldn't reveal. Well, he kind of did though. He said the evidence was that he said it. That's, That's the weird thing. The like, he's like saying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, <laughs> I, I, I didn't do this. Really show me some evidence. I just gave you evidence. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The evidence is that I made the claim. It's like, what? That What world are we in? Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, Renova- Renovadio in chat, who is, uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not saying this to throw you under the bus or anything like maybe you're you're right but like you've been you've been one of the ones arguing against uh the our especially lee but also our 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 stance on the russia ukraine thing and you're you're very um i I think much more hawkish i'm not trying to you know misrepresent what you're saying um but he's he says one thing people forget about the story of boy who cried wolf which the caar is at the end there was a wolf you guys need to focus not only on the boy but also on the wolf uh, I would agree, uh, except for I don't think the boy who cried wolf is a perfect analogy here because the CIA is the wolf. In this story, the most, the biggest threat is not a wolf from somewhere else. The biggest threat is literally standing in front of you wearing a CIA name tag. Like that's the threat. The threat is that you know if I if you wanted to write an analogy uh, for the boy who cried wolf or what's happening today, it would turn out that it's a wolf wearing boy skin like that's the problem like that that's that's the well the wolf is the deep state they're the big problem i'm not saying china or russia aren't problems but they've got their own problems and i do think i know i know this take this to the bank i mean you know i guess if we're all vaporized 
you can you won't be able to say Carter was wrong. But <laughs> Russia and China don't want to go to war with us. They've got plenty of better things to do. China's got way better ways to defeat us or deal with their own internal problems. They like they're not about they don't need to go to war. They can sit around while we argue about gender ideology, as Kerry said before, and like wait for us to collapse into nothing and buy us. China's already buying us. Like they don't need they're We're just destroying ourselves. Yeah, yeah, Yuri, Yuri Bezmanov talked about this. We've destroyed ourselves with through our institutions, the, the long march of the institutions with ide- bad ideology has completely yeah, corrupted stupid. generations. We, we can't even, <laughs> I mean, I keep thinking about how we're having this brain drain and they're starting to push towards, um, uh, you know, in college, which is, we've already seen this for a while where they're poo-pooing meritocracy and it's like, you don't need to be able to show us any proof of any competency to get into this college at all. Otherwise, it's somehow biased and discriminatory. They're, they're doing that in workplaces now, too. I mean, we're going to get to the point where there are no more people who know how to make the things that we need. Everything we're making is bought elsewhere. Where yeah. It's like we don't know how to do anything except go on social media and, and, and complain about someone misgendering us. And, and like... I, yeah. we're destroying ourselves. So yeah, no, seriously. I mean, it's, it's like, it's like Rome is falling and you're like, you know, you really need to be worried about the Ottoman empire. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like, that's, that's not the problem. The problem is that we are falling apart. We've destroyed ourselves. So I, you know, not that if there's not a real threat, we shouldn't worry. Like, look, even I'm like, yeah, we should defend our borders. Sure. Like, yeah, we, if there's, you know, by the way, part of ripping up some of the treaties and doing the stuff that we've done allowed, allowed Putin to develop a kind of cool short range <laughs> nuclear torpedoes or long range nuclear. Like, it's just like, okay, that's kind of a, a weird thing. Now he can launch a torpedo and have it take, you know, days to cross the ocean and then, pop out on the other side and blow up New York city. Like, you know, yeah, there's some real threats. Um, we're not talking about how do we deter those. Right. And we certainly don't deter those threats by provoking him into a war over Ukraine. (sighs) All right. Carrie, I don't think we, do we have anything else we need to do? I don't think there's any more super chats. No, you look very dapper today though. Have a nice I got my hair cut. Do you like my hair? Oh, I do. I like it. Yeah. yeah. I let my nice. hair grow way too long. So it gets like too shabby. And then I, I don't get my hair cut often enough. So that's all it is. My husband just got his hair cut uh, for the first time since before we met each other. Isn't that a long time? Like wow. Two and, a half, two and a half years or something. Yeah. We were that joking that time. maybe if he cut his hair, he would lose all his superpowers and also for, forget who I am. But he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> good <clears throat> kevin anders said that said that's not how torpedoes work i didn't think so either but apparently that is how russia's developing some kind of cool torpedo fundraiser to un- un- F- F- Carrie Spec. Spec. yeah oh, you yeah. know well she's gonna, gonna move so we need to unf it in her new house yeah right? there's a there's a plan for doing it right in the new house and getting off of wi-fi um book club the real anthony fauci if you want to get a copy of this book you can go to unsafespace.com backslash book club to find out more about how to join. And um, if you want to see the interview I did uh, with Chris, with Billboard Chris, you can go to my new channel, Deprogram with Carrie Smith, which uh, is in the comments. 
Uh, yes, and it's been in chat, but Beverly can place it in chat again uh, at the end here. I put it in chat earlier. It'll be in comments, and Beverly can put it here now too. Um, and check out, I know I said that's at the beginning, but for those of you who missed, awesome interview with uh, Billboard Chris that you just did and released yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday, yeah. So Thank you. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's yeah. great. And if he comes to your town, you should go and stand with him. Yeah, it's it's you know he's getting more and more people coming out and standing with him, so cool. All right, well, uh, I guess that's it. Have a good weekend, everyone. Any last words, Carrie? Have a good weekend. That's All good. Right. Take care. You too. Bye. Thanks for spending your time with us today. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes discussions with everyone from James Lindsay to Brett Weinstein. So go check it out. And please consider supporting the Unsafe Space team by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on a variety of social media platforms, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space Discord server, which is open to financial supporters at any level. See you there. Warning. This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. Please download this updated list of contagious individuals. Use the hashtag GetBoosted to receive two complimentary Liberty Pellets. Mass formation psychosis is just a right-wing talking point. Please purge it from memory and resume your programming. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Science, scientific, and scientifically are registered trademarks of the World Economic Forum. Unauthorized use is prohibited. Computer voice courtesy. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.